You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. People are asking me why I've had nothing to say about the Arnold Schwarzenegger love child situation. People are asking me about it sometimes in rather accusatory tones, I have to say, in the emails looking through a couple of weeks' worth of Savage Love Mail here today. And there are a lot of accusations styled as questions about Arnold Schwarzenegger cheating on Maria Shriver with the help and having a love child that he concealed from his wife successfully for more than a decade and blah, blah, blah. It's all my fault. I guess, according to some of the mail, some of the people in the mail, because I'm a big proponent of non-monogamous slash monogamish relationships and aging Hollywood action stars don't drop their drawers without checking in with me first. And look, look, Dan, look at what non-monogamy did to Arnold Schwarzenegger and his family. Poor Maria. Won't you admit now, Dan, that non-monogamy brings chaos Failed marriages, devastated children, scandalous scandals. Ladies and gentlemen, Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't in a non-monogamous relationship. Arnold Schwarzenegger was in a monogamous relationship. Arnold Schwarzenegger failed at monogamy. He did not succeed at non-monogamy. Can you appreciate the distinction? Your calls after this. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Uh, hey, Dan. Um, my name is Court from Philadelphia. Um, I have a question. Um, I'm 33 years old. Um, I'm dating a 23-year-old girl. Um, I've known her for two years. Uh, everything's you know, pretty fun. Um, I'm not sure if her boobs are real or not. Um, and I don't know how to go about asking her without offending her because she has the poor, um, um, like a distorted, uh, you know, body image. So I don't know. I need some advice as to how to um, reach the subject. Are her boobs adequate? Do you enjoy her boobs in the condition that they're in? Are her boobs a 10 and everything else is a 2? I don't understand why this need to know. Uh, and you know, Perhaps it's just idle curiosity or two years into the relationship, you feel you should be able to share everything. I'm not sure why you need to know uh, necessarily. And if you feel it could set her off into some sort of insecurity spiral about her body, if you complimented her breasts... Because, you know, oh, that's the only nice part of my body because it's the only part of the body I had surgically altered. I'm, uh, I guess I'm a little confused. All that said, all that wheel spinning, the way you can broach the subject is through indirection. You can just address the subject of plastic surgery in general without addressing the subject of her tits in particular. You can – people out there get plastic surgery. You look at Bristol Palin's new face and you can point out the – Post on Gawker about Bristol Palin's new face and say, wow, plastic surgery. Don't say anything positive or negative. Just hmm, as a subject, plastic surgery. I'm not sure I'd ever have any plastic surgery done uh, to myself. 
how do you feel about plastic surgery? Not what have you had done, but how do you feel about it? And then she can choose at that moment to open up and say, I've had my tits done or not, as the case may be. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old heterosexual female who's been married in a few months. Um, I lived in a different state a few years ago, and um, five years back I became a single mother. Uh, the father didn't decide, he decided he didn't want to be involved, but um, luckily I had a lot of really great friends that uh, helped me through everything. Although I loved being pregnant, I never felt more pretty. I was ashamed that I was pregnant because the father didn't want to be involved. So it was a really like bittersweet time in my life, I guess. Um, since then, I have moved to a different state and uh, met an amazing man. And again, we were getting married. Um, one of my friends from back home was, or I should say is, uh, a gay man, and uh, he married his partner. Um, they were looking into adoption for a long time and hitting roadblocks. And at one point, I offered my eggs and said I'd be a surrogate for him. He and his partner, his husband, were thrilled, and uh, we kind of started talking about it without getting my fiancé involved. Um, then... We ended up meeting them. I introduced my fiancé to them. And on the way back home on the road trip, I said kind of casually, by the way, um, they're interested in me being a surrogate, and I think that would be amazing because they deserve to be parents. And he got really quiet and then eventually said, well, I suppose, you know, in the end, it's your decision. And uh so we went on from there, and, you know, uh, my friend actually was looking into some of the legal processes and stuff. Um, I definitely am not interested in having another kid of my own, but I would like to experience a feeling of pregnancy and being part of something so special for a friend. Um, since then, they actually did adopt a daughter, and she's beautiful. And so this may not even be something that we would do in the future, but it's always a possibility that they may want another kid and would like to go the surrogacy route with me. Um, my fiancé is not interested at this point in being involved in that and has said, well, I'll see you later, kind of flip it a funny way, you know, just to, you know, to, to mention that he was disapproving of it. But I'm wondering um, if it's a deal breaker on our end, if it's something that he's not interested in, um, how much do I respect his feelings and how much do I listen to my my mind, my body, and go through with it? I got to say that this is a lot of sturm and drag over a hypothetical. This isn't even happening. And you and your fiancé slash husband maybe-to-be are you know leg wrestling over what ultimately may be a non-issue. That said, it's understandable that you're – fiance, your male heterosexual fiance, may feel a bit threatened or diminished by this idea that you, his wife, in theory, at whatever point it might happen, is going to have a baby with and for someone else. I hope it's not big news to everyone out there listening, but a lot of heterosexual guys who are married to women sort of feel like if their wives are going to have babies, they're going to have babies with them, not with their gay best friends. And not for their gay best friends. 
You don't mention whether or not your fiancé, husband-to-be, wants to have kids of his own with or by you at some point. You say you're not interested in having another kid. Where's he on that subject? Does he already have kids? Does he not want any more kids? Does he not want any kids that are his own biological children? All of that would seem to be relevant. Also, as he recognized, in the end, it's your decision. It's your body. You can do what you want with your eggs and your fallopian tubes. But he has a right to be heard and a right to make his own decisions about what he does with his own body, which up to and including walk. He can do that with his own body. He can decide that he doesn't want to be with you if you're going to go through with this. Is that controlling and an effort to veto your decision? Well, I guess to a certain extent, but he has a right. You know, he's your fiance. He's not your property. If he isn't down with this scenario, he has a right. To walk. He also has a right to be heard. And I think perhaps what you're not hearing, maybe he's not saying it, maybe he's not articulating it, is if you do have a baby with and for your gay friend and his boyfriend, one of your eggs biologically related to you, a half-sibling of the child that your future husband uh, will be raising with you, you're not just you know throwing a football across the field. It's not some sort of lateral pass. You are establishing – a web of of connection and, and, and intimacy and a bond that involves your husband and that he really needs to be invited into the decision-making process around that, not just told, I want to do this with my body. And he says, I'm not comfortable. And you say, it's my body and now we're going to break up. And ah. But really involved in – if you're interested in getting him to sign off on it, you need to involve him in – making this decision because it's not just, again, a decision that impacts you. It's a decision that impacts your the child you already have and it's a decision that impacts your relationship with your husband going into the future. And so he should be involved in the making of that decision, not just the Monday morning quarterbacking about a decision that you've already made, a decision that you've taken that has consequences for him uh, – Emotionally, if not financially or paternally, and I think he has a right to be heard. And if what he has to say is, I'm not down with this, then you're free to make your own decision about what you do with your body. But in making that decision, you may be walking away from this relationship. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins, narrated by Richard Dawkins and Lala Ward. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. Um, uh, this is Chris from uh, Canada. I've got a little bit of a difficult problem, if you will. Um, long story short, when I was 15, that's about when I started masturbating, I kind of fixated on one particular girl. I guess you could say I pretty much well fetishized her. Um, oh, yeah, she's my uh, fiancé now. Of uh, We've been dating for about seven years now. Um once I started masturbating, it was pretty much only about her, and I shut down largely any other sexual ideas or thoughts that I had through my head. It was pretty much well just her. Well, about five years ago, 
when I finally, you know, rallied up what the other sexual thoughts that I was having that weren't exactly and entirely about her, I tried sleeping with one of her friends that, you know, she was okay with it and we had talked about it and everything, but I don't really think I liked the experience. It's actually almost to the point where it traumatized me and uh, caused me to kind of shut down anything else. Um, now, at this point, we just recently kind of yeah, opened our relationship up. She wanted to, and I, I was kind of okay with that, but I've been having a lot of negative feelings about it, and it's just come, like, literally just now to the realization that it's not that I'm really jealous about the situation in the normal fashion you expect. I'm jealous of her because she's got these other, you know, desire, sexual desires and kinks and such that I seem to have kind of suppressed any thoughts or main hope that I've had of these. And so, yeah, it's kind of fucked up and I really kind of wanted to be, you know, more sexually interesting than I seem to have somehow made myself into. Um, yeah. So I was wondering if there's anything that you could possibly, uh, help me out with there. I'm not quite sure what the problem is exactly. Is it that she, you have an open relationship now and she's doing things with other people and you're jealous because you don't want her doing things with other people or you're jealous because you wish you were doing things with other people, but you have no interest? More the latter one. It's just kind of like, I wish that I wanted to do that kind of stuff. And you're not at all sort of jealous or wrecked that she wants to. No, that's yeah. That's it, it's not really like I, I just recently kind of had an epiphany, if you will, because I had been feeling kind of negative feelings towards the situation, but it didn't quite fit that it was jealousy towards the like the people that she was doing stuff with, or that she was doing it. It was really more over that, and I came to this realization that I was jealous that she wanted to do these things. Mm-hmm. And, and and not even that it was that it was things that she wanted to do that didn't include me. It was just stuff. It was just she wanted to do stuff, and I didn't want to be able to have more of a kink or sexual interest or something like. So this is really about repertoire. There were some things that she wanted to do that she wanted incorporated into her sex life that you weren't interested in or willing to do or had the capacity to do. And the deal right now is she can do those things with other people, and you could do things with other people too if you wanted to, but you really don't. Well, yeah, kind of. And so what's the problem? I want to be able to want to do other things. (laughs) That may come in time. You know, it's actually kind of rare and charming to, to speak to a unicorn like you, someone who really is completely satisfied with one person to, to an extent where you've been masturbating about this person basically all your life. You, yeah. You know, you've fixated on her like a duckling on a, a mama duck. Yeah. And she's all you need to be happy. And so you're in a relationship where you are happy because yeah. all your needs are being met. And you know what? It sounds like she is too. Well, I, I, so, I try. I, I try, and uh, well, no, no, no. She's in a relationship where all her needs are being met, but some of her needs are being met, you know, with a loving assist by other people, with your consent. Right. But she's getting all her needs met, and you're getting all your needs met. It's just that you're getting all your needs met by her. Mm-hmm. So neither of you are lacking for anything or being deprived of anything, so long as 
you're happy. So long as you are satisfied with this setup where your your sex life is all directed at her and her sex life is mostly directed at you, but sometimes there's some other people in the mix for her that there aren't for you. But if you don't have a desire for other people, she's not holding you back. And if you no. gr- if you grow into a desire to be with somebody else, it doesn't sound like she would hold you back then. No, no, she wouldn't. It's just I, I have the desire for the desire. And that's sometimes the first step. Yeah. In, in, toward obtaining desire, and in the meantime, you are, you know, you're hoarding chits, right? You're yeah. hoarding chits that you're going to be able to call in if and when you are suddenly seized with the desire to do something with others. Mm-hmm. Have you guys considered? three ways where you're doing something with others with her so it's still kind of about your relationship with her well there was one time and i don't i i think i mentioned it slightly in our in our uh, in my call that um there was one time where we got well one time there was a, one of her friends i thought you got with that person alone there was that but we also did a three-way with that same girl there was this it was like a two-month thing where there was kind of a, an interest sort of into, it was not so much into the other girl, but as much as into just other girls general. Mm -hmm. And it was a catastrophic failure. And describe the catastrophe. What what was catastrophic about it? It It was just extremely um, painful for her. For your girlfriend. This was like five years ago. We'd only been going out for off and on for about a year and a half. Okay, so the one time when you got with somebody else, she had a re- your girlfriend had a really negative reaction. Yes. And now, how did you get from, oh my God, you're with somebody else, that's hurting me, negative, negative, negative reaction from her, to her getting to be with other people? Um, well, it, there was five years in between, and um, we're in a lot more, st- we're actually engaged now, and uh, we've, we're a lot. We're, our relationship is like tons more stable now. And okay, but, but there was something about your interaction with this girl five years ago that your girlfriend perceived as very threatening and not a good situation, right? Yes. And now here we are in the future, and she now can recognize that it's possible for someone who's in love with someone else to have sexual contact with a third party without it threatening the primary relationship. Because uh-huh. she's doing that right now, right? Yeah. She's no right. less in love with you for these other contacts, if not you know, more in love with you. Because being mm-hmm. with you means you, she can have these contacts and have you, too. Right. Were you very scarred by her negative reaction five years ago? Um, yeah, I think I was. Um, uh, this was all tied in together with this realization that um, I uh, – it was such – she had just – it, it was so terrible of a like she had such a terrible reaction with it that um, that for you it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it, and I just shut down everything. Okay, well that's probably what's going to take some time to burn off. It's not potentially that you had no capacity to respond to other women or no interest in other women. Uh-huh. You also have no obligation to be into other women. If she's enough for you, she's enough for you. Uh, right. It's just that the one time you acted on that, it was such a shit storm that now you really kind of are a little dick shy or other women's twat shy about everything. Yeah. And so just relax and let this okay. thing unfold. She's obviously understands in her bones mm-hmm. now that there's nothing necessarily threatening about 
a committed couple making allowances uh, for each other to experience some outside sexual contact, right? Right. Because she's doing it. She's living right. it. And so if and when you meet somebody that you want to do it with, she should be able to recognize it. It won't be the same scarring experience or the same shitstorm that it was last time when you wanted to be with somebody else. But if right now you don't want to be with anybody else, don't feel obligated. Don't feel under any sort of pressure. You're not flunking sexuality. Right. You are doing exactly what you should be doing. You're doing what it is you wish to be doing. You're, you're sleeping with the person that you want to sleep with. Your needs are being met. You're not failing to, to, to get your own needs met. And you're making all that happen for her too. Right. And don't get trapped in the sense of like everything has to be fairsies. You know, she's sleeping with other people, therefore I should be. Otherwise, I'm getting cheated on or she's getting more than I'm getting. Don't look at it that way. Look at it as are my needs being met? Yes. Are her needs being met? Yes. And so even if you're not wanting everything she's wanting right now, not going for it, there's nothing wrong here. Okay. And if and when right. the time comes, you'll be you'll be you'll you should know, start telling yourself now, you know, talk to that person, you know, who regretted what he did 5 years ago because your girlfriend flipped on you. Start right. saying, you know, she's not the same person she was then. She's obviously doesn't hold the same opinions, doesn't regard these things as as threatening as she did then. So if okay. and when I want to, we'll be able to broach this subject and I'll be able to get my, you know, uh, off-leash time too right? without her flipping out on me. Okay. All right. That, and yeah, if the time comes that you want your off-leash time and she flips out on you, then she's got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and you really got to revisit what's not egalitarian about this relationship. Right. Well, no, she's already even encouraged me that um, – she would think that it would be uh, a turn on for her that she would she'd like that idea. Okay, well then all systems are set to go. It's just the person that you want to do this with hasn't crossed your radar yet, hasn't hasn't walked onto the scene. And so, when that person like, does, you'll mm-hmm. know. And if that person never does, then you'll know. Okay. You'll know that you never missed out on anything because if all you wanted was her and you had her, you weren't cheated. Right. Yeah, no, okay. And just, like, um, I don't have, like, the hugest amount of experience because, like, this is a girl that I went for pretty much all my entire sexual experience was directed at her. Um, Could it be that it's just one day a girl comes across my path and it'll be, like, boing? Or is, like, because, like, right now I'm not really feeling much for any girl at all, any other girl other than my fiancé. And I love I love how the whole premise of this conversation is, is based on the assumption that there's something wrong with you, that you're only attracted to your fiancé. We, I guess we've so pathologized the monogamous impulse on this show that somebody who's basically functionally monogamous and, and satisfied with just having one sex partner feels self-conscious and damaged somehow. I do. I really do. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You are hope for monogamists everywhere. <laughs> And, you know, we should we should have some sort of affirmative action program for calls like yours so that the poor monogamists don't feel so picked on and, and stigmatized because there, there are folks like you out there. The problem for a lot of people who are like you is that you end up in relationships with people who are not like you. There are a lot of people out there who are basically functionally and happy having one sex partner, but the odds that they're going to be with somebody who feels the exact same way are very small. Right. And so this is a situation where a monogamist – 
is in love with someone who is not monogamous, not happy being monogamous, not fully satisfied, mm-hmm. you're, and you are fully satisfied being with just her, and she is fully satisfied being with you because being with you means she doesn't have to be only with you. Right. Because you guys have allowed for some accommodation and latitude for her. Mm-hmm. And that's really a terrific object lesson for people who are basically functionally monogamous, that you can be in a relationship with someone who isn't, and it can be mutually beneficial, totally satisfying for all parties, mm-hmm. that it doesn't have, monogamy doesn't have to be necessarily a two-way street, that a monogamist can be in love with a non-monogamist, and they can make it work so long as everyone's needs are being met and no one's being lied to or deceived, Maria Shriver right. style. No, oh, well, you know that's that's where we're at, and I'm just uh, <laughs> there's, there's a, a lot of new stuff just came out recently, and uh, it's, uh, you're helping clearing it out, and I appreciate that. You're welcome. Give us a call sometime and give us an update. <laughs> okay, I will do, Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm a 45 year old gay man in Los Angeles, and uh, been into fisting for the last eight years, and kind of friggin' love it. Uh, you don't talk much about fisting on your show, I've noticed. I'm wondering if people just aren't asking questions. But anyway, my question isn't really about fisting. It's about poppers. I, um, gone to my ripe old age of 45, having not used poppers until about eight, uh, eight months ago. And now I friggin' love them. They're kind of crazy and insane, especially during fisting and sometimes not during fisting because they open you up and it's, it's nuts. Um, well, my question is, how safe or really how dangerous are they? Are they? There's so much uh, conflicting information online, it seems. You know, some say it like, kills brain cells. Other sites say it dissipates really quickly and really doesn't do any harm at all. You know, I don't really use them that much. You know, I've seen guys really suck them down. Like, I don't know how they do it. But, you know, if you use them in moderation and you don't spill them on yourself, how safe and or dangerous are poppers? Fisting doesn't come up that often. I don't think we get many calls about fisting unless the tech-savvy at-risk youth are intercepting the fisting calls and deleting them before I can get to them because they are fisting negative, which I don't believe that they are because I don't think the tech-savvy youth could sit in this room with me all these years now uh, to the point where they are no longer quite so youthful as they once were uh, and be fisting negative. It just doesn't come up. Like, what's to talk about? You can get a fist in your ass or you can't. And if people want to learn how to get a fist in your ass, you could just Google it. And it's all right there at the fisting wiki page. As for poppers, they ain't so good for you. They're an immunosystem depressant. People who go on sex binges where they're using poppers, uh, it seems to contribute to whether or not an HIV exposure is going to take and result in an HIV infection because of the immunosuppressing qualities of poppers. Um, They're not necessarily addictive physically, but – Psychologically, they seem to be very addictive where people form this association between you know, the, the scent of poppers and their ability to get hard or respond sexually and they become very reliant on them. And I don't think that that's something that you want to do. You don't want to be one of those creepy fags who can only be with somebody uh, if there's a little brown bottle in between you and that other person. Uh, huffing away at those poppers. When it comes to something like fisting, you know the the effect that poppers has on your your body, you know, causes your blood pressure to drop, and um, that can be dangerous if you're anemic or you're on heart medication or antidepressants. You could actually die. 
Um, but it also relaxes major muscle groups like your rectum. So some people find that that little burst of poppers, that blood pressure drop, induces a kind of uh, crazy low blood pressure uh, muscle relaxing horniness moment where they're able to open up uh, and relax and accommodate uh, an enormous forearm in their butthole. Maybe you're one of those guys. If you're using poppers in moderation, you know, I like to say moderation in all things, including moderation. There are times when we need to be immoderate, when we need to bungee jump a little bit. If you are capable of using poppers in moderation, and it is once in a great while sort of a thing, if you are not in a sling every night uh, with an arm in your ass and two popper bottles uh, duct taped to your face under your nose, I guess it's okay. I don't want to sign off on it, though, because I think poppers are creepy. Or maybe I should say poppers are just poppers. It's the dependency that some guys develop on poppers that's really deeply creepy and off-putting. And the numbers of people that I've known just in my life who were dabbling in poppers or using them in moderation or only every once in a while when they wanted to get – you know, crazy fisted piggy, whatever, who then wound up just step by step becoming dependent on them to respond sexually to anyone at all in any situation. The number of guys I know that walked that path is depressing and high and high, high get it high. So uh, I wouldn't use poppers even in moderation, but you're you and you get to decide what goes into your ass and up your nose. Hi, Dan. I hung out with my ex-boyfriend last night and his friend, and it was kind of an awkward thing, and then one of his friends got drunk, and I really, really like his friend, but it, it's his friend again, and I gave his friend a hand job in the back of his car and while he was driving, given that wasn't a very good thing to do, but I did, and I feel really, really bad about it, but I told him that, and he was okay with it when we were last night, and then he texts me at like 2 o'clock in the morning saying, hey, we shouldn't talk anymore. And I text him back, why? And he just got all mad. And then I was like, what did I do? What did I do? Because I told him that I just wanted to be like friends with benefits or fuck buddies or something like that. And he was okay with it. And he was okay with it. But I, I don't know what to do because I like his friend a lot. I don't want to date his friend, but I do want to have, you know, fun with his friend. But I just don't know what to do. So therein lies my dilemma. Please help me out, Dan. I don't know why he's mad because we're both single. So I don't know why he's mad. Thanks. Bye. I've listened to your call four times and I still don't understand what the fuck is going on. All right. You're out with your ex-boyfriend and he has a friend and then somehow you're in a car with the ex-boyfriend's friend and you give that friend of your ex-boyfriend a hand job, and then you tell him about it. Well, you didn't have to tell the guy you gave the handjob to because he was there. He knew. So I assume you're telling the ex-boyfriend about the handjob you gave to his friend. And then I can't tell what the hell happens next. I can't tell who's upset. You say, I want to have a fuck buddy relationship with him. And I don't know which him you mean, him ex-boyfriend or him ex-boyfriend friend recipient of handjob. And why should this be an issue? Blah, blah, blah. So you've lost us. And unlike... Other callers, you didn't leave a callback phone number, so we can't actually call you to figure out what the fuck is going on. And I'm not sure what the solution would be. If your ex-boyfriend doesn't want to hang out with you because you gave 
your ex-boyfriend with whom you may or may not want to have a fuck buddy relationship because it's unclear from the call whether the fuck buddy relationship desire is directed at the ex-boyfriend or the ex-boyfriend's friend. If he doesn't want to hang out with you post hand jobbing his friend, that's his right. And if the friend that you gave the hand job to of your ex-boyfriend doesn't want to see you, that's also your right, his right not to be seen by you. No one is obligated to allow you to view them. But your ex-boyfriend can't veto a fuck buddy relationship with his friend if that friend wants to have a fuck buddy relationship with you at the cost potentially of his relationship with your ex-boyfriend. Does this make any sense? Look, I don't think you need my help. I mean somebody who can navigate, manipulate a guy she's just met who's a friend of an ex-boyfriend into a car and somehow that ends with her giving him a handjob while she drives. You don't need my help juggling these relationships. You seem like a pretty smooth operator. Not a very smooth Savage Love cast caller. There's only – Three people in this problem. I shouldn't have to have a flowchart and sentence diagrams to follow what the hell's going on. And I didn't follow what the hell's going on. So why don't we just uh, move along to the next calls? We don't know what we're talking about. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 21 year old lesbian, and I just started dating this girl, and she's really awesome. Um, the first time we slept together, however, she had warned me that she doesn't like penetration and like it's absolutely worst thing for her, like no penetration off limits, which is fine. Um, but then I also follow her on her blog and she posts a lot of trans, um, awareness and trans things, like supportive for transgender people, which is awesome. I support her whenever she wants, but I also feel like... Um, she might be heading in that direction herself, just with little hints and things about her. Um, and it just has me concerned. Um, I would like to know before, you know, the relationship progresses. I'm not saying that I wouldn't be with her. I totally would support her. I just feel like that's something that you should tell, you know, your partner when you start dating someone. So I'm just wondering, am I overthinking things? And if she's not actually, you know, she's just a real supporter of everyone, um, I just don't know. She really said no penetration. She has, you know, more androgynous features and things like that. I'm just not sure what to do. Joining me by phone now to help answer this question, Ezra Getson, a mental health therapist and trans community activist and a doctoral candidate at Antioch University. Thanks for uh, taking this call with me, Ezra. Yeah, of course. Uh, So before we get to the specifics uh, of this call, let's talk a little bit about just the – I don't want to call it a phenomenon, but the FTM – thing. Once upon a time when we talked about trans, uh, you know, particularly when I was younger, it was all MTF that you ever Mm -hmm. heard about it. Renee Richards and an episode of Marcus Welby MD with Mr. Brady as trans. Uh, And you didn't hear so much about uh, FTMs. Was it that Mm -hmm. FTMs didn't exist? No, I definitely think that there's quite a lot of um, FTM and trans male masculinity going on at that time or trans female masculinity going on at that time. I think that it was probably not part of larger culture as much as um, female to or male to female trans folks were. Mm-hmm. And why, uh, why was that, do you think? You know, to tell you the truth, um, I think I'm not actually 100% sure. I think part of that is uh, maybe more of um, mainstream gay sexuality being part of movies and um, large cu- culture 
rather than lesbian sexuality, which is where more of the FTM spectrum folks come in. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's some more comfort around, or not more comfort, but maybe more sensationalizing of that um, rather than the other way. There's also the, like, you know, high pat from Saturday Night Live. So it was, there. there's some, there's, um, there's some voices here and there, but very small amount. Do you think part of that sort of general kind of cultural ignorance about FTM uh, trans uh, people and their existence up until like the last 15 years really when FTMs started to get a voice and become more prominent and come out was that it was easier for trans men to sort of transition privately, quietly and slip into the culture? You know, a little more difficult to, as a man, transition to female without a surgical assist and a lot of hubbub. Mm-hmm. That could be a part of it. That could be a part of it. Um, I think that there's definitely, I think part of it was also being, uh, probably coming from a more dyke community, mm-hmm. which um, in in radical terms can be a little bit more underground, and it's more of kind of a at-home community, I would say. Like when we think about gay bars, we mostly think about gay male bars, or gay male scene being a lot more public, and uh, lesbian activism or, or lesbian visibility being a lot more marginalized. So I think that's part of that. I think that also in older, um, in older trans male population, a lot of those, some of those guys were straight, right? So they were identifying as straight, and there was a way that it was maybe a little easier to assimilate into more heteronormative society. Um, at that time, or that was more of of the goal for some folks. Okay, let's let's get to this caller's uh, particular sure. questions. Just you know, to take it from the top, is a is a reluctance or you know a distaste for penetration uh, when a woman is lesbian identified? Is that some sort of potential FTM trans marker? You know, I mean, when you asked me this question before, I was kind of thinking about it. I don't necessarily think so. There's so many trans and gender queer people, gender queer people out there that really find pleasure in penetration um, that that is not necessarily the marker. Um, I think the marker is somebody saying that they're trans and saying that they're gender queer. Um, so the kind of the first way I was thinking about it, if you don't know, if you're guessing, just go ahead and ask. That that might be the best way to deal with that situation head on. It sounds like the caller really wants to know what's going on in order to kind of figure out how she wants to position herself in this relationship. And if um, there's and nothing so, wrong with being trans, there's nothing wrong with asking someone if they are. Right. Or think right. they potentially may be. Right, right. Which would be the case here because this person is still female identified or allows herself to be presumed to be female identified and lesbian identified, but she's interested in trans issues, which isn't something that only trans people are interested in. There are straight people out there who are very interested in LGBT issues and it doesn't make them LGBT. Yep, exactly. Exactly. She should ask straight up. Yeah, because there, I mean, there's many reasons why somebody might be uncomfortable with penetration: history of sexual abuse, vulnerability. This is a new relationship that might be a very vulnerable sexual thing to do with somebody new. Um, physical discomfort, maybe a medical condition. There may be many other reasons why somebody would not want to have um, penetration. Okay, now let's talk about something a little dicier, which is disclosure. Does a, somebody who is trans and is not yet out about it, or not, you know, hasn't reached the point in their transition where they want to start? saying it out loud and telling people and and taking the first steps towards transitioning, are they obligated to disclose to their romantic partners before they form uh, a romantic attachment or before they allow someone to form a romantic attachment to them in their current sort of perceived gender identity, which they may already know isn't 
their true gender identity. Well, I hope that nobody is required to be disclosing really uh, anything unless they want to, right? So that I don't think that um, it's, no, I don't think that, that, that people need to disclose well, then, what they think about this, uh, themselves just yet when they're waited, where for them it's an it's a issue of questioning, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it needs to be at the basis of their own comfort and, and their conversation. But then if there isn't an obligation or they're not required to disclose, do they have a right to withhold? I mean, we're talking about very private things like our own identities. Well, it is private, but if, yeah. if this woman is currently lesbian identified and she is mm-hmm. with a woman who is lesbian identified, mm-hmm. who is interested in a lesbian relationship, mm-hmm. and those are the sort of terms on which they're right. establishing their romantic connection, if, right. if, if the, you know, she knows that she's a he and that she's interested in transitioning, I'm using mm-hmm. pronouns crazy in this sentence to yes. try to like accommodate <laughs> her current perceived gender identity and her true gender identity. Right. Does she not have some sort of responsibility, Not perhaps not out of the gate, but at some point to level with his partner that he's actually a man and is right. very seriously looking into transitioning, hence, if not the penetration issue, hence the interest in trans issues and the other hints that the caller says that her uh, partner right. has dropped so far. Right. At what so, point know, does it become I, dishonest withholding? I, I guess I'm trying to ask. Right, right. I think, so I think that to me it's too black and white. Um, and coming from kind of a more mental health perspective, I'm looking at relationships and couples, right? So that there is, uh, this is a new relationship. Uh, this, they don't really know each other um, quite well yet. So they don't know where the safety is. Coming out as trans is quite different relationships than coming out as gay. Right, there's a lot more social uh, social acceptance right now for being gay or lesbian or bisexual, and there's a lot less rejection in relationships around that. Mm-hmm. Now, when you come out as transgender, that it can be quite a different deal, right? That this person might still identify as a lesbian and not want to um, jeopardize that. Um, maybe they just want to ex- explore their gender, right? And so they're not at a point where they can be talking to other people who are new in their lives about how they want to explore that, what they want to do with that. So I think that the level at which somebody would it would be good to disclose is when they really know themselves what's happening for them. Mm-hmm. But that's that's my kind of gray area answer. It's not going to be a black and white answer for me. No, I hear you. But I, I yeah. think if I wanted to pin you down... If they're at a point where they know, where a person knows that they are trans and they're going to initiate the transition, at that point where they've moved through the gray and they're not just contemplating it or exploring their gender, but they've made a decision, at that point does the obligation to cease withholding kick in? I mean, at that point, I think uh, when you were probably thinking about your own, own identity at some point, when we're at that point in identity development, withholding or not telling somebody is not really a part of that identity anymore. At this point, we're already talking about that we're thinking about transitioning or that we're thinking about coming out as gay or that we're thinking about changing our names or or all these things are probably at that point already in place. So, so that's, so I think that at that point, somebody would not be withholding or not disclosing that information. It would be quite apparent to in your relationship or in friendships or interacting with that person. Ezra Getson, uh, mental health therapist and trans community activist here in Seattle. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the caller on episode 241 who was questioning whether or not to circumcise their son. As a woman having sex with an uncircumcised penis, 
I want to say to that couple, don't do it. My partner's dick is made of magic, and the magic lies in that layer of skin. Maybe that's weird to think of your unborn baby having sex, but leave that foreskin on for its future partners. Hey, Dan, this is Rob. Um, I'm a doctor who was just listening to episode 241. You know, when I heard that discussion on circumcision, my jaw kind of hit the floor because you guys both started out the podcast talking about science and data, and then when circumcision came up, just, you know, kind of let all that go. I mean, I think it's pretty clearly been shown that viral transmission rates for not just HIV but HPV are higher in uncircumcised men, and even though, as your guest pointed out, that's small, when that effect is multiplied over lots of uncircumcised people, it can become big. And um, there's also been lots of studies that um, that have never shown that uh, there was any um, any changes in, in in people's expressed sexual satisfaction, whether they were circumcised or uncircumcised. So you know, it doesn't do anything with sexual function. Um, and then, lastly, I think for both of you to compare it to female circumcision or genital mutilation which is clearly meant to inhibit or hinder uh, kind of sexual development, sexual, you know, pleasure, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's no comparison. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, for both of you to kind of, um, you know, take the attitude you did with the circumcision question when you started the podcast in the other way, I think was a bit floppy. Hi, this is a response to um, the woman who was concerned about her Wiccan boyfriend getting naked in the ceremony. I'm a Wiccan priestess in New York City, and um, please remind her that that is not a dogmatic um, institution that that he has to get naked and get kissed. Make sure that he is comfortable with this, and um, make sure that you make your feelings known. And if um, you guys are not comfortable with doing that, the priest and priestess should address it, and do not let them use anything that says he has to do this in order to become a Wiccan. I have been initiated by some of the biggest names of witchcraft in the world, and I have never been made to get naked and kissed in a ceremony. Hi, Dan. Um, I am a single 22-year-old female uh, in Oregon, and I just wanted to thank you because a few weeks ago uh, I had my first threesome uh, with a friend of mine and her boyfriend, and it was fantastic. We all um, listened to and and read your stuff, and um, she and I had a non-specific conversation about being heteroflexible, and a few weeks later they took me home uh, after an awesome night, So, um, and there was no fallout afterwards, so... Uh, just want to let people know out there um, the sort of unicorn of impromptu, consequenceless, and naturally occurring threesomes does exist. You just all need to be aware uh, and GGG and communicate really well, uh, especially afterwards, and um, just have tons of fun and do it with the right people. So, but yeah, just wanted to thank you for that, and um, you're awesome. Keep doing what you do. Thanks. You're very welcome. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a call or a comment, a question, or a thank you note for a future program, give us a buzz, 206-201-2720. Just a reminder that I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com where you can read the Savage Love Letter of the Day. Or if you don't want to slog through slog, you can get the Savage Love app for iPhone and have all the Savage Love posts from slog delivered direct to your iPhone or your Android. And both are available at either the iTunes store or the Android store. 206-201-2720, that's the number here. Give us a buzz. Me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth will be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 
Thanks for downloading.